What's up, guys? Welcome to the Strive Podcast, the podcast that's inspiring you guys to find your level of mastery. Guys, in today's episode, we talk to a very, very, very special guest, someone who's a close friend of Cell and mine. It was Luke Mailers. He is an expert when it comes to all things stress and also about Curious Habits, which is the book that we're promoting on today's podcast. We're not talking about any sponsors. We're talking about this book that you guys need to know about. It's Luke's new book, Curious Habits, and you can find it at www.lukemathers.com.au or on Amazon. We highly encourage you to go and check that out. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. Well, I hope you do. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's go. Luke Mathers, welcome to the Strive Podcast. Nice, nice to be back. It's so good to have you here. Um, I was, I woke up this morning and I was really excited that, you know, we'd be able to sit here and have a chat to you today. <laughs> good skills, man. It's good to be here. Good to see both of you. There's a few people, you know, people would people would sort of relate to this um, that are listening. That sometimes you have people in your life who, um, when you sort of engage with them and talk with them, they give you energy, and then others might sort of zap you of some energy and. You're certainly someone that I know I can speak on Cell's behalf too. Gives us a lot of good energy. So oh, same, same when I catch up with both of you two. It's always fun. A little love fest going on here, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> it was what it was going to be. And I know that we're going to fill our uh, listeners and viewers with some good vibes today and give them some really amazing, valuable information. Um, and I'm so excited for people to learn who you are and meet you for the first time. And for those who have, you, have heard of you before or maybe listened to our old podcast or um, have seen you you know, in other ways. Um, I'm excited for them to meet you for the first time. Cool. It's going to be fun. So for those um, who uh, haven't met you before, uh, we've known you for quite a few years now, which is which is really exciting to think back. Um, and, you know, over the years, we've kind of been, uh, you've, building, you've been building your ident- identity post your corporate career and um, running businesses, very successful businesses, and you're transitioning into this uh, new role, uh, you know, over the years as what I call sort of like a, uh, uh, like a, a performance coach. But what do you call yourself? I call you the happiness guru. <laughs> Is that what you call him? That's what I've, cool. tr- that's how I've tried to sell him to other people. That's yeah. cool. Because when every time I've told someone, I used that originally, and then everyone's just like performance. Then they get like they worried. sport. Yeah, this they, and they that. think yeah. of it in like like almost like it's a vehicle. Uh-huh. Like he's gonna, what's he gonna do to me? Is he gonna <laughs> manipulate my body or make me faster and all this? I'm just like he'll make you happier. So I just refer to him as the happiness guru. That's cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll take all of them. Mo- <laughs> most of those sort of um, when you start trying to put yourself in. Most of them just make me vomit in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> like the whole, the whole life coach, yeah. mindset coach, performance, you know, happiness guru. Happiness guru, I'll take, so yeah. I'll take that all day long. But let's face it, most of us are going to perform better if we're happy. Yeah. So if we can work out what makes us happy and get really clear on that stuff, um, yeah, it's going to be better. It's actually quite weird. I, I spent, you know, 27 years testing people's eyes. I used to be an optometrist. And it, it's, you know, it, it's a really weird thing to think. I spent all of that time and now what I'm doing is helping people find a vision of themselves that they actually really like and they want to do and that they're, that they're going forward because they want to do it, not because they've had, had it thrust upon them or not because someone said you have to do it, but to do it because this aligns with who I want to be. That's cool. And I reckon if you can have that alignment, you get that happiness and you know, if you achieve goals, great. If you don't, at least I'm going in that right direction. Yeah. I, love, yeah. uh, I love you sort of... Um, you, uh, talking about that story as an optometrist that you're asking someone if their 
eyes are okay like 10,000 times or whatever. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've asked which one's clearer, this one or that one, six and a half million times. <laughs> no, <laughs> if you think your job's boring. <laughs> uh, but it's not. I also got to meet really nice people and you know, we, we opened Specsavers, so we had 100 stores in 100 days. So if you look at it, it was the biggest retail rollout in Australia's history. So if you've ever opened a retail store, you, know, you guys know what it's like to yeah. start something new. You know, 100 stores in 100 days was just phenomenal. And it was really stressful, but geez, it was fun. Yeah. It was just like, and, you know, we had we had a big team and it was it was awesome. But it, to be able to be part of that and to look back and see what they are now, they're in like, you know, nearly 50% of the market and they've been like the Uber or whatever it is of optics. Yeah. They've been Uber, Netflix, all of those put together for optics. And um, yeah, to have been part of that was pretty cool. Amazing. I think um, the thing that I, I naturally, <laughs> what you said is so true about the performance or life coach where – it conjures up images to me of everything I dislike <laughs> because you see so many people taken for a ride and you hear someone saying, you can do it, and then they're sitting there all doing this motivational chance. You're like, that is such bullshit, like that that level of stuff. But then obviously I met you um, in multiple, through multiple different people, and one, you were successful yourself, but the thing that I probably gravitated towards the most was you were – Success is probably an understatement of what you achieved with Specsavers, but you moved away from that um, for a life of happiness. And most people attach happiness to money, fame, power. Could be a lot of different things. Your happiness was sought elsewhere um, and you found that doing what you're doing now. And I think a lot of people spend their whole lives trying to find what actually makes them happy, which is sad, but you found yours and now you're trying to help others find theirs, um, which I think is probably one of the coolest thing anyone could really do yeah, yeah, with, with their time. Happiness is almost one of those things that the, the more you search for it, the probably harder it is to find. Yeah. It kind of just comes your way, I reckon, when, when you're in alignment. I love, I love the line from Seneca. It's you know, a couple of thousand years old um, from back in old Stoic Roman times. And he says, you don't know what, what port you're heading for. No wind helps. Right, and the hassle is that a lot of people don't really know they've had these ideas of success thrust upon them, and a lot of it turns out, you know, if I have the big house, or the flash car, if I have all the money, then I'm successful. And one of the things I talk about in my new book, Curious Habits, is that I call it top of the mountain syndrome. That we all think, when I get this, when combat's the biggest drink in the world, and when all of that, when these things happen, then I'm going to be happy. And I think it is sort of trying to put happiness on the other side of a horizon that I'm going to swim to happiness and the horizon just keeps moving further and further away. So what can you do that's in alignment with who you want to be and then have some fun along the way and all of a sudden you look around and go, oh, shit, that was pretty cool. I've got some good stuff out of that. Do you, do you see it's one of those situations, though, where you can tell someone that money is not going to bring them happiness, but it's like that it, for a lot of people they need to learn that themselves. And I know I've, I've experienced that too, where you're just like constantly chasing to get to a financial goal. And then when you get there, you realize it doesn't really mean anything. Well, but it, then it it's means like something above a certain amount. Yeah. And they've done the science on this. University of Melbourne did a great study that, that worked out that once you have $120,000 a year, your amount of happiness you get from more money just levels off. It doesn't actually make any difference. Mm -hmm. It's almost a bit Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah, that yeah. once you get above a certain point, you know, if you don't have any money to pay the rent and you're about to get kicked out and you can't put petrol in your car and you can't feed your kids, money's going to make a massive difference yep. to your happiness. Yeah. 
all right? But above a certain point, it doesn't. So a lot of the time, I think we spend it, we think we need a lot of money to have the flash car and the big house and all of that sort of stuff. And a lot of the time, we're, we're spending money on, you know, shit we don't need to impress people we don't like and buy, buy crap. And so why don't we have a look and sort of see what actually brings us joy? Because there's a lot of habits that we have. I talk, I talk a lot about that in the new book. There's a lot of habits that we have that the reward from it gets taken away. Um, there's a thing in psychology called reward invariance. So you might do something and you got something good out of it the first 20 times you did it. Once you've done something enough times, you'll continue to do it even when the reward gets taken away. And I think some of those we've got to get a bit, of, bit curious about some of the things we do and see whether they're actually serving us or not. Mm. There was something that you were speaking about with us off air um, where we were talking about enjoying the journey um, and the fact that we always push the goalposts further and further away or they keep getting further and further away and it's so important to sort of like live, you know, get some present, yep. get, get some presence and like enjoy the journey. Talk to us about that. You, we, well, we, we referenced it to fighters specifically cutting weight and that's the goal or like having the fight or whatever it might be but I, th- I think whenever you use the words you know if and then you know if such and such happens then i'll be whatever um i think that's always my alarm bells start going off then that if you know if i you know pay my house off if i you know make rent this week if i make weight for a big fight or something then i'll be happy and i, I reckon that's a it's a slippery slope because you know, I, I remember looking around, and all of all of the stuff that I do now all started from going and seeing my GP. This is like oh, when was stress Teflon like five, six years ago. Yep. Went and went and saw my GP and said, "Look, I'm not quite getting into it. I'm sort of still doing all the things I like to do, and it's kind of good, but I'm just meh, just a bit meh. Like not just languishing, not yep. bad, not not. You now everything was all right. I was, you know, I had the the biggest optometry practice in the country, was making lots of money. Um, my wife was happy. My daughter was okay. Everything was good. But I was just languishing. And I went and saw the GP and the GP talked to me and he asked probably three or four really not very insightful questions and then gave me a prescription for an, an, an a, um, SSRI. So he gave me a, an antidepressant medication. All right. You know, I live in Lukeland, man. Lukeland's awesome. It's you know, unicorns fart rainbows there, and the world's an amazing place. And to then get a doctor say, "Okay, I, you know, I think you might be a bit depressed," was like, "Holy shit, what's going on here?" But I took the tablets for about took them for about three weeks, and actually sort of got a bit of you know, got a bit of a pep in my step, and went all right. And so the nerd in me came rushing to the surface and I went, well, why am I taking these tablets to give me serotonin? What I know, work out how you get serotonin and put more of that into my world. And that's kind of what I did. Talked to the doctor, said, look, I'm not going to take these anymore. I'm going to put my heart and soul back into whatever I'm doing. And I think that was top of the mountain syndrome. I'd got to everything I wanted to do. I had all the money I, I really needed. Yep. You, know, you can always make more, but I had all the money I needed. I, my business was as good as it could have been. You know, everything was okay and you're just languishing. I, get, I think it goes back to that old Chinese proverb of, you know, the man who likes to walk will go further than the man that's looking for a destination. Mm-hmm. And I think too many of us spent too much time looking for a destination. Amazing. And what are some of the principles you um, started to use and identify for yourself to, like, uh, uh, get that serotonin for yourself and obviously transition from using the antidepressant medication to, um, you know, getting those benefits yourself? Well, it was a pretty quick transition because I wasn't really on them for very long. Yep. But basically serotonin is your, you know, we, we talk about things like scarcity a lot. 
and there's a we're just being fed a scarcity sort of model. You know, you need this car, you need this holiday. If you don't have these abs, then you're not going to, you know, that sort of stuff. That, that stuff goes on all the time. It's, you know, modern marketing wouldn't work without it. So we're getting fed this scarcity model. We're looking at Instagram and we're comparing and despairing all the time. And I think, I think what used to happen is we used to be able to look around in our tribe and we could see who was on the next run up. You, know, you might have had a mate that had a bigger house than yours. He might, his dad might have had a better car and his bike was flasher than yours. And you could kind of see the next run up. Think, oh, I'd like to get to that next run. The hassle particularly with kids now is they're walking around with the entire ladder in their pocket yep. and they're looking at it incessantly. And humans don't compare down. We only compare up. All right? We very rarely compare and look at, look at you know, things that we're doing better than. We're only comparing to, you know, and you've got the entire pocket, the entire ladder in your pocket looking at it and thinking these are people who are on private jets. This guy's got abs. This girl's lips and boobs are bigger than mine. You know, we've constantly got that compare and despair thing going on. And I think that's a wrestle. And one of the things that serotonin does, serotonin is your chemical that says I'm enough. I mean, I like being me. It's, It's my pride from inside sort of chemical. And I think I was lacking that. I, I don't I, because I wasn't putting my heart and soul into anything. I wasn't giving everything. I didn't. I think you got to care and you got to show you care. And I probably didn't do that for a little while because I got to the top of the mountain and went, oh, "Okay, I've done that." But I think I kind of I've, since then I've kind of learnt to enjoy the walk rather than the destination. And I think it makes it sounds really cliche and I almost like <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> sound great, like no, it. But I think we've got to we've got to look around a little bit more and enjoy the walk a bit more. How how do you? Obviously, it's a bit easier for you being elder, having experience, but how do you get people to stop this comparison? Um, like you said, kids now have a world at their phone that they can look at anything and say, that person's on a private jet, I'm not doing this. Or even, I mean, everyone, everyone in general, it's not just kids. We're all but doing it, man. Yeah. It's, I'm doing it too. No. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole bunch. One of, the, one of the things I love is the concept of having a noise-cancelling habit um you know you get on a plane you get noise cancelling headphones you put them on you can't hear anything else you can just hear whatever you're putting in there and one of the things i talk about in curious habits is having a noise cancelling habit something that i can do once that will get rid of a whole bunch of other noise and distractions and things in my world and even something as simple as when i walk you know you both both been in my house when you walk in there i plug my phone in in the office and my phone doesn't go into my house all right, so that's a noise-canceling habit. When I'm inside, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not checking Instagram. I'm not looking at LinkedIn. I'm not doing any of that sort of stuff because when I go in there, I either want to just be relaxing and, you know, watching the footy and doing whatever or I want to be a husband or I want to be a, I want to be a dad, all right? And so a noise-canceling habit is putting that phone in your other – 88% of people watch two screens at a time, all right? Humans aren't designed to do two things at once. Right. I kind of uh, I read a really cool African proverb the other day that said a man cannot row two canoes at one time. Yeah, and I think a lot of us are two canoeing a lot. <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> so we're two, two canoeing <laughs> way <that>. too much. <laughs> so so how do how do we work out our lives? How do we set up our systems and our habits so that when we are going somewhere, we're going in one canoe and for a certain amount of time, and then we'll jump in the other one when we want to do something else. But I, th- I think a lot of us are sticking one foot in two canoes, trying to work out, I've got to get to here, I've got to do this, and the more canoes I have, the better I'll be. And we're not designed to do that. If you, you think about computers, you know, you have these things, computers with two and three processors in it. They can do a few things at once. 
we've only got one processor. This this brain of ours is pretty old. You know I mean, it's it's an analog brain living in a digital world, and so we can only do one thing at a time. And I reckon there's some really cool research that we've got to be able to do. Um, Andrew Huberman calls it. He's a neuroscientist. Calls it duration, path, and outcome. I'm going to do for this long. I'm going to do this path and this is the outcome I want to get. And when we can do that and then savor the outcome as well, um, you can actually sort of split our days up into into little chunks where we can just be in the one canoe. Because I think a lot of us are spending it. I'm really, I really struggle with focus and I'm working really hard to try and find what solution works for me to focus better. And uh, I think every time you write a book, it's always there's a little bit of research, but there's a lot of me search in there. So almost like stress, stress Teflon was about that. I looked around and went, why are some people thriving and some people don't? And yeah, I learned a lot about it. Um, I would love for you to go into this. So for those who don't know, your str- your first book was Stress Teflon. Um, you were really touted as the stress ec- expert uh, when that book came out. Um, it was all about how to make stress not stick. Yeah, I, 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 and I still think now, and it's amazing when you come up with these models, um, whenever you write a book, you have to you think about a lot of stuff. And the model I came up with stress Teflon is we needed the safety of a tribe. Mm-hmm. So you needed people around you who you love and they love you. You need pride from contribution. You have to do something. You can't just think, oh, I want everything to be great, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to you know, do what I've always done and you know, get what you always got, that old sort of cliches and stuff. But we've got to have pride from contributing. We've got to do something. And we've got to have honest self-awareness. We've got to know, you know, we've got to, we can't bullshit ourselves because stress will come and bite you in the ass if you're bullshitting yourself. So I think those, those three have stood up. You know, that was five or six years ago we wrote that book. And I still look at it now and think, yeah, those three have really, they're still there. They're still solid. They're still safety of a tribe, pride from contributing. We've got to do good shit. And we've got to notice the fact that we're helping and the world's a better. I love the line is, is the world a better place because you're in it? Is it, Miles? I hope so. Yeah, my, yeah. my world's better because I know you too. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot, of pe- a lot of people, particularly when they're wrestling and struggling, like today's Are You Okay Day. And there's a lot of people out there that I think if they're really wrestling with, their, with themselves and their mental health and they're perhaps not okay, they probably haven't looked around and worked out how the world is a better place because I'm in it. And if the answer's no, and you think about it again, your answer's still no. Get out there and help someone. Do something. Contribute. I've thought about those principles so much and if I ever see someone that's going through a bit of pain, I, I almost run through those three principles yeah. and I'm like, do they have a safety of a tribe? Are they kind of pushing people away or are they, you know, do they have people and a support system around them? And then I'm like, are they actually contributing to their community or are they trying to take as much as they can and, and not getting that fulfillment from contribution? Mm-hmm. And are they actually doing any reflection or, you know, inter- are they um, doing any internal realisation? Yeah. You don't have to sit on a yoga cushion and you know, navel gaze and stuff yeah. to do that. Yeah. But yeah. just to actually stop and say, okay, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? Mm-hmm. All right, let, let's, have, let's ponder some of that. But those sorts of tools, I think they're really simple. We kind of make that shit a bit harder than we yeah. need to. Um, to be able to just stop and say, okay, what am I getting out of doing this? Do you find a lot of people don't have that safety of a tribe? Do you think that's something that is often, yeah. often, I reckon, often missing? I reckon it would be the, the contribution to community that would be the, the least. The least, you I think? I reckon. I have no... I, I actually, I'm not there's too sure. There's so much sure. entitlement in this world and so much... like this, There's so many selfish people yeah. that they're always working out how to get things for themselves yeah. as opposed to understanding the real hack, in my opinion, is you know, contributing to the community and how much fulfillment you can get out of that. But but is it because they don't have an actual proper tribe? 
Maybe. To contribute to. I like other people just around them, just these miscellaneous, like, floaters that aren't really part of their maybe proper yeah. family. I don't know. It, it, it's a really good question. And there's something that I, I love evolutionary biology. I just love the way we do shit because cavemen did shit. All right. And I'm talking not, that's not cavemen, women, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we do stuff because because we're biologically ingrained to do that. And one of the things that happens with the stress response, you get you get adrenaline and cortisol, and we kind of all know a bit about adrenaline and cortisol. But one of the things we don't realise is part of the stress response is actually oxytocin. And oxytocin is like the cuddle hormone, you know. Every time I meet you two, I always have a hug, and it's always like, yeah, good to see you, Miles. And you want to touch, and you want to look at someone's eyes, and you want to connect that way. And that gives you a little squirt of oxytocin. It's the thing that, that babies get when they breastfeed with their mother. It's the thing you get after orgasm. It's the thing that pulls people together. It's your cuddle hormone. It's a love drug. That's actually part of your stress response. All right? And the hassle is that something's happened in the last couple of generations where that thing that's meant to actually shit, things getting really hard, things getting really bad, I want to pull you closer. Mm. All right? Is actually starting to go the other way. And it's really scary. We've got to, we've got to stop and we've got to work out that, okay, things are getting tough. Are you okay today? Things are getting tough. I want to pull the people closer to me. I want to be okay. The fact that I'm a bit vulnerable with this, and you know, I I, I want to I want to get that oxytocin to actually pull me closer to people. Um, just full disclosure, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit at the moment. My dad had a heart attack just recently, and he's and we found out he's now got you know he's now got bowel cancer, and he's not going to be with us for much longer. And there's been a lot of tears. But what I've found is that every single time I get sadder, all I want to do is hug someone. Mm. All right. And I've got so many loving, beautiful people in my tribe that are all there to help me. And, and you know, my wife's away at the moment. She's been away for six weeks. So the, the, my main person who I have for that isn't here. But I find that I have a good tribe. And I, and I contribute to that tribe. You know, I think one of the things about it too is that we're all a little bit, I don't know, we don't sort of feel like we're as worthy as we, we really are. And, you know, I'm the prize in friendship. I, and so are you. It, it's a prize to have you as my friend. I really love that. Same with you, Sal. All right, and I think we all get a little bit, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough and, and judge ourselves. And, no, let's be the prize. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I really want to hug someone because my dad's really sick and I love my dad and I'm going to miss him. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's okay. That's all right. And... And we're designed to do that. Something's happened and I don't know what it is. It's, and I think it's probably a shame thing. I think it's probably I'm putting these facades up that we're not doing that anymore and we need to. Because part of the stress response is that we're meant to pull people closer. We got endless hugs for you, Lukey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hug off camera. We'll hug on camera. But, um, so you made some incredible dis- discoveries um, and you, you know, contributed so much to the community with your first book which was stress teflon um you did a second book that was focused around teenagers yeah that one that one was hard and i i talk i I do a bit of work at schools and you know i do a lot of conferences where you're up talking to people and i i kind of every single time i get this knot in my throat and i don't like it but it's kind of it's a really cool message um my daughter she's 20 now but when she was um, from the age of like five, she had a group of five, a little crew of girls that were just beautiful. They were all gorgeous girls and they were tight, 
for the whole time until they were about 15 or 16 and one of them, um, Zara, had, had to go to a different school. So she went to a new school and she never quite found her tribe. So she never quite found that safety of a tribe that we talk about. And unfortunately she, she slipped into a bit of a hole of depression and got really sad and she took her own life and it was horrendous. Absolutely awful. It was around the same time, um, remember 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. The show on Netflix. It was a really popular show on Netflix. That was, it was a fantastic show. And as someone that you know, deals with stress for a living, there was no way my daughter was watching that without me with her mm. and without, without doing a debrief at the end of it and having a chat and working out what's going on. And so she's at the age of these kids are in the show and all of a sudden one of her, one of her best friends has taken her own life and it was like, yeah, wow, all right, the stress guru and me just popped to the surface and all, right, all the girls, they come into our place, you know, the night Zara died, they all stayed at our place, they had mattresses all over the floor. We woke up at dawn and went down and watched the sun come up and told Zara stories and there were a ton of Zara stories because she was awesome. And it was just so sad and... About three months later, um, Ali was Zara's best friend. You know, in the group of five, she was she was her bestie. And I saw her and she, she confided in me that she was really struggling, that she was pulling away from the others and she was, she was really wrestling with anxiety. So I said, look, you know, I know a little bit about this stress stuff. Do you want to write a book with me? And she's a great writer. So we wrote a book called Reset. We can actually get from my website at lukemathers.com.au. It's completely free. Um, you can download it for free. And basically what I got is a teenager's view. I gave her the science and the things that I knew and she put them into teenage words and it was just amazing. I learned so much from working with Zara and we came up with a concept called catch, wait and reset. And so catch is catch the physical sign that you're feeling stress. With me, that's knots in my stomach. What would yours be? What would yours be, Miles? You scratch your chin? Um... <coughs> I'm probably I'm probably a weird case because I feel like for whatever reason throughout my life I've had uh, uh, I've suppressed a lot of like stress um, feelings of stress. So I've always said that I don't get stressed, mm-hmm. um, but then my body maybe breaks out in hives or yeah, till might it have gets, allergy till your bucket's full on. Yeah, full. yeah, it's almost a bit like I think there's a few, fair few people like that. So you're not you're not on your own. Yeah. There. And I think one of the things about that is we end up with the, this like low hum of stress all the time that we don't notice when it happens because it's always there. Mm. A bit like living next to a highway. You don't hear the cars after a while. Right. And I think something we've got to reset properly. We've got to find nature. We've got to, we've got to chill out. We've got to do things without our phones. And we've got to really work out what it feels like to be quiet and be away from the highway. So then when something stressful happens, those physical signs, those you know knots in your stomach, clenching your jaw, you know, tightening of your ch- shoulders, mm. those sorts of things, they're meant to be a cue to get us to get curious. And that's kind of what Ali taught me that, mm. you know, what would that be? Would you have yours? So we, what would we, yours? We, would, we would sit in a wired state for the majority of yeah. <laughs> time, hey? I think mine's more pacing. Like um, the physical aspect of me makes me stand up. You want to move. And I want to move. That makes sense, and, doesn't and it? That's yeah. fight or flight. Yeah, you want it, and you I want to move and I want to not run but get active enough that I feel like movement is helping me work through whatever is stressing me out at the time um, to get forward almost. Yeah. Um, obviously, that now when I think about it, it makes sense, hence why I'm There is a study on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, There's that tons does, of it. Yeah. yeah. But the... 
but the, the point of catch, weight and reset is to understand what your physical symptom is that I'm feeling stressed and use that as your cue to get curious. Yeah. And by cue to get curious, I mean, so I, I ask weight so, and weight stands for what am I thinking? So what am I thinking? What's making me think that? And is it helping? Mm-hmm. All right. And when we do that, we kind of connect our old emotional brain and our smart new brain and we kind of put those two together and that helps. And then the reset part is the same as, um, same as on your computer, control, alt, delete. So what can I control? What are my alternatives and what do I need to delete? Mm. And I love that. It's almost a bit like the serenity prayer. I don't know if you know that one. That God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, yep. the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I like the way that Control-Alt-Delete fits into that a little bit because we spend a lot of time worrying about stuff we can't control. And the moment we can just say, okay, I've, no, I just, I just reset that. Control-Alt-Delete. I'm wasting no time worrying about something I can't control. Such a good concept. So um, you wrote Reset and brought that out. And then the latest book that you've brought out is called Curious Habits. So talk us through, you know, um, what you were thinking and, and your evolution in your thinking, which, which led you to Curious Habits and what Curious Habits is all about. Uh, Curious Habits was probably born from disappointment and pissing myself off <laughs> from not being able to change habits that, you know, just weren't serving me. So what am I doing? Like I, I was one of these dudes that always wrestled with weight. I was, I'd run and train and, you know, it was, I'm, my wife calls me action man. I just never sit still, a bit like yourself, Sal, a bit like both of you. You know, don't sit still very well and always, always moving, but I was always, you know, 15, 20 kilos overweight. And, you know, and a lot of it was habit. So whenever I would get frustrated, bored, annoyed, pick whatever emotion you want that's not desirable, you know, where's the fridge? You know, give me chocolate, all of that sort of stuff. And it was a curious habit. So what I was after was that instant gratification of, of food whenever something was happening that wasn't quite going my way. And the moment I kind of got really curious about that and used those cues that would say, okay, this would normally send me to the fridge. What are my alternatives here? Going to the fridge wasn't helping me. I used to, we talked about being an optometrist and I've asked which one's clearer, this one or that one a million times. I used to get to the, I was that boss that would like just, if, if it's busy, we'll just go faster. We'll just go harder. We'll just work harder. That was my default. And worked out that by about two or three in the afternoon, I was just frazzled. I was like anxious. I was, I was just wound up. And my way of unwinding was to drink Pepsi Max and eat chocolate chip cookies. All right? Yeah, just, just back up for a little minute. Okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm, I'm marinating in cortisol. Let's throw sugar and caffeine on there. See how that goes. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it's, it's never going to work. And so basically what happened is my pants didn't fit anymore and I had acid, all, acid reflux all the time. So it wasn't doing me any favours. But it had become my habit. It had become my default. So it's just what I did. And then I sort of stopped. And I, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who's a, who's a breath coach. And I said, oh, I feel like this at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and all I, all I want to do is eat chocolate chip cookies and drink Pepsi Max. And he said, well, why don't you just lie down on your room Breathe into your diaphragm, breathe into your stomach for a bit. And then notice the fact of how you feel afterwards. And it took maybe a week, if that. All I did was I'd lie on, lie on the ground and I'd put my phone on my stomach and I'd feel the phone lifting up and down. Because if you breathe into your diaphragm, do you want me to nerd out? Yeah. Do we, how much do we want to nerd out in this podcast? As, as much, much as, as you, you want. Can. Okay, well, you got, you got 610 muscles in your body, right? One of them has a direct link to your hypothalamus. And your hypothalamus is like the EA of your brain. It controls your heart rate. It controls your blood pressure. It controls your body temperature. It controls all of those things. And 
your diaphragm is linked directly to that by your vagus nerve, all right? And 80% of that nerve is actually is actually afferent. So it means it's going from your body to your brain, all right? So by breathing into your diaphragm deliberately, that basically sends a message to your brain to say, no, nah, everything's cool, calm the farm, we're all okay. So instead of going – so basically what I did is I had a habit loop that was Pepsi Max and chocolate chip cookies, didn't wasn't serving me, and I swapped that to I would lie on the – on the ground and I breathe into my stomach. So you breathe as if you've got a balloon in your stomach and you're just blowing the balloon up and then letting it out. And then I'd stand up and go, okay, how do I feel now? I feel great. So I savoured the fact I felt so much better at that and that reinforced that pathway. And eventually it turned into, okay, I'm feeling frazzled, I'm feeling agitated, I'm feeling twitchy and like you'd have to go and move, cell. My, my response to that was I'm just going to take two minutes, I'm going to sort my shit out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax. And those two minutes then just turned into bliss and like, oh, that's awesome. And then that's not a hard if I had if I had have tried to, I'm not gonna eat chocolate chip cookies and I'm not gonna drink Pepsi Max, I'd be kind of pushing against it the whole time. But when you actually work out what do I wanna get, now you both you guys are both good at jujitsu. It's almost doing jujitsu with your habits. It's almost saying, okay, I'm gonna use that energy of that to take me somewhere else. And that's kind of what I did with my habits. And so I kind of worked out what things were serving me, what was I trying to get out of it, and was I actually getting that? And then once you actually work that out, then you change because you want to change and not because you had to. And that made a massive amount of difference for me. And I think, and, you know, some of it's about things like health and fitness, some of it's about, you know, running businesses, and some of it's about just to get clear on what your thought habits are. But basically all I did was swap chocolate chip cookies and Pepsi Max for belly breathing mm. and what i wanted was calm i was trying to get it with sugar and caffeine it wasn't working let's swap and let's get it from breathing and getting my getting my hypothalamus to actually do what it wanted to do i think it was you that told me um that if you want to build a new habit you need to replace an old habit with something new yeah the world love the world hates a vacuum so we can't just say i'm going to stop doing that you have to, you're going to have those same cues come up and um i love this sort of combination of triggers and cues now when you, you know, people talk about it's a cue for anxiety or a trigger for anxiety. One of the things you hear kids say a lot is, oh, that triggers my anxiety. I've heard that expression yeah. a few times. I hate that expression. Absolutely hate it. One, when you pull a trigger on a gun, you don't have any control over where that bullet goes after that, do you? It's gone. All right, wherever you've pulled the trigger, it's gone. And we kind of use things that, as triggers. Oh, that person really triggers me because they said this. I, th- I think we've got to change that. We've got to use that as a cue to get curious. And that's where the kind of catch, wait and reset part comes into it. That, you know, we're going to use those things as my cue to sort of stop and say, what am I thinking here and what are my alternatives? And when we do that, we can then choose what, where we go next rather than having a trigger that, that just sends me down this, you know, rabbit hole of anxiety to actually stop. And it's called, psychologists would call it cognitive behavioural therapy. But just to be able to stop and say, okay, I'm going to choose what I'm going to do deliberately. From now on, I think it's a really powerful thing to swap triggers for cues. With with how you do things, because um, me and Miles have had the pleasure of seeing you um, and working with you to help us through multiple different things, but you obviously don't point to flaws, and we're all flawed as, as human. You don't say, you're doing this wrong, do this. You obviously try to get the person to identify themselves where they may be feeling not great, where they may see improvement and then move towards that improvement. Tell us how you go through that process because I know a lot of people, us included, often can become frustrated with 
can be I'm sure Miles gets frustrated with me and vice versa and staff and friends and family and you're often wanting to help them by saying hey do this but the natural reaction of you saying anything kids included like do this is no fuck off I'm gonna <laughs> do that which yeah. never ends up working well for anyone because you you actually come to it from a place of good intention but it leads to the person pushing you away thinking that you're trying to change or manipulate or whatever the word may be when you really aren't you're just noticing something that could help them improve in a way that's maybe positive to them but because of how you've gone about it and I've been guilty of it has backfired but where the way I've seen you go about it often really helps people tell us about your process of making people look towards themselves and go forward from there literally what we just did finding yeah. out the, th- yeah, the exactly. three things that I wanted to be I we, were to just, we were just yeah. talking about it before as yeah. well yeah. yeah um yeah there's there's a few things that there's a whole bunch of questions in in that question yeah um I reckon probably the biggest one, particularly if you're a leader in a business, I think you've got to be able to tame your advice monster. Yeah. All right. I think we all have this tendency to sort of, you know, someone comes to you with a problem, particularly if you're the leader and they say, oh, I don't know what to do here. And you go, just do this. All right. Yeah, cool. Might work, might not. But to sort of be able to stop and just stay curious for a little bit longer, just for a little bit longer to sort of say, okay, well, what do you think the answer might be? What are some of your alternatives here? How does that play forward doing that? And what, what we end up doing, and particularly as a coach, and I love coaching. Coaching's just, mm, the world could be on fire and if I'm in a coaching session with someone, the only person I care about is them. And for someone that, that really wants focus, I love it. So I actually will be completely present. Like I've had a coaching session with both of you two and you're just completely present in the, in the moment, which is great. But I think we've got to be able to sort of just Ask the questions and let people find their way there rather than letting the advice monster point them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the key with that, to sort of find out where they want to go and what they want to do and just be that person that can tweak if it starts going off offline. I reckon as a leader, that's what our, our job should be more as a coach rather than as a, as a director, mm-hmm. um, to be able to coach people to get like the Like a micromanager. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the curious habits we talk about in the books is micromanaging. You know, and at the start, and it's, it's how habits work too, at the start, micromanaging is really good because you're helping that person get the skills that they need. When does that stop being beneficial? Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is work out, okay, well, it was beneficial for this first little bit. Now I need to turn more into that. And the hassle is we stay in those same loops. We stay in those same habit loops. And we've got to learn to be able to, to, be able to evolve and change as the people we're working with change. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a um, with my grandparents who are European, very superstitious at the time, very religious. And I wonder if your family was at all similar in this um, instant cell where my grandma would say um, that speaking to yourself, like you're crazy if you if you speak to yourself. So like if you <laughs> if you talk to yourself, you're 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 going crazy. So if she ever saw me sort of like muttering some words or something but not to anyone she'd be like stop talking to yourself you're gonna go crazy but now <laughs> we're encouraging people well i certainly spe- do to speak um, to, to yourself and self-reflect and have these internal conversations how important is it for us for us to have these internal conversations but then number two uh, understand what we are actually saying to ourselves and how important that is on our 
confidence and self-esteem and all those sorts of things yeah it's a, it's a cracking question and it was a really leading question thanks mate it's a nice little t- a little <laughs> t-ball softball for, for me there but what, one of the big things i love to do in my coaching practice is i want to get really clear about who's talking um we've got constant dialogue going on in our head no matter whether what grandma says yeah she's wrong we're, we've always got it there's a narrator in our head and it's almost like those two old grumpy bastards slater and waldorf from the muppets you know those two yeah. old just heckling up from the top seats um because our brain can actually think at about 600 words a minute all right so about 600 words a minute we've got this stuff going on all right we can speak most people speak at about 120 words a minute you think about a um like an auctioneer they'll speak at about 220 it sounds like they're rattling off they're at 220 words a minute so our brains actually think more than twice as fast as that all right so there's a lot of words that we might even be saying or hearing that we're filling in gaps yep all right and one of the things i like to do in my coaching practice is is almost goes back to those old cartoons from the 80s and 90s where the you know the homer simpson might have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other and they both sound the same but they're both going to be saying very different stories and i like to help people get really clear about whether their angel's talking or their devil's talking so we we do this this thing called finding carlos which is finding the better version of you and um so you'll come up with three or four characteristics of what the best version of you looks like. Um, mine is, I've changed mine recently. It used to be curious, creative and generous. And the best version of me was curious, creative and generous. So how do I get to be curious and creative and generous wherever I could? Recently I've changed it because I always want one of these to be something I'm aspiring to. One of them I'm kind of, you know, want to work hard. And one thing I'm trying to do is be more present. I want to be, if I'm in a room, I want to be us in a too. room. Yeah, us too. Did you do this work workshop with Luke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was able to do it a while ago. Do you remember good. what your... Yeah, and I was literally... We were just talking about it before, but it was kind of close to Luke's, which was uh, curious, caring, and adventurous, and were, adventurous. Were, my, were my ones. Mine was brave, caring, and present. Yeah, and nice. present was my aspiring one. Yeah. yeah. I think... I have to really watch myself when I'm doing these these programs and stuff, when we're doing them in workshops, that I don't plant too much uh-huh, yeah. in the other person because it's really easy to do that. But we, we have a, a void in our society at the moment of being able to focus. Um, if, you, if you ever want to read a really good book, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari is, is a fantastic book. It's about how we're losing the ability to sort of stay where we are. Another great um, old Chinese expression of be where your feet are. And I love that mm. too is... I'm here. And at the moment, I'm here talking to you two, which I love talking to you two all the time. But I'm not thinking about anything else and I'm completely present. And how often are we completely present in what we're doing or are we getting distracted? And but it's, so the hard, it's the hardest one. It's by far, for me, the hardest one. I should change mine to present because it, it, it is the one for... for Never one to plant these things. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but from an aspirational perspective, it is 100% the hardest one to achieve, um, particularly in this time of life be it the aspect of technology, be it the aspect of multiple, be it businesses going on. Um, the, me and Miles were talking about it before. We would probably have upwards of 100 WhatsApp chats. Mm. And within each one of those chats, for whatever, well, not for whatever reason, you may be like the, the person that gets asked question after question after question after question across so many different things and that's just on that platform yeah. and then you go to email 
then you go to messages. Probably get then like you go, 400, 500 emails a day. Yeah, and, then, and, and it just keeps going. And then, yes, like there's no, it almost feels like there's no escape from it. So like you said, the big reason we wanted to get back to this podcast it was because it felt like that was the one hour we could be present mm-hmm. with a guest or each other or whatever it may be because it almost you were forced to be and we almost needed that, like to be able to shut that door and be able to get here. Even previously before the podcast was in the office, and even that was like you'd look out through there, through the glass door, you'd just be like, oh, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that's not doing this or this, and then you, you lose that presence. So it's something that, yeah, every day is a battle with that. I realise the only time that I actually – um, prior to doing this workshop and, and bringing it to the forefront of my mind with Luke, um, thought about being present was when we have a fighter in the cage. And I stole this concept from watching Trevor Whitman with Rose Namajunas, where she would stand in the cage, he would stand beside the cage and he'd be like, cool, I want you to feel your toes. Can you feel your toes? Cool, can you feel your fingers? Yep, you move everything. Yep, okay, you're here, you can hear my voice. And she's like drown out all the sounds of the crowd and everything and just become present. And now anytime that I'm cornering a fighter and they go into the cage, I do the same thing. Can you feel your yeah. toes? Yep. You hear my voice? Like Be where your feet are. Yep. Be where your feet are. That's just such a cool saying. Yeah, it you is really steal cool. that one. Yeah. Steal away. Yeah. It's not mine. Yeah. So you're, you're <laughs> more than welcome to it. Um, but we're, we're not doing it. And no. and we're, we're particularly – one of the things – I did a – a talk at Miles's old school. Miles introduced me to his, the new principal at his school, and I went and did a talk for the parents there about how to. Um, with, I told it finding focus in an age of distraction, mm-hmm. all right, and to give them some tools that they can use, and how do I set up my environment so it's easier to stay focused? You know, and we can do that. Okay, how am I? What am I being aware of? My cues that are dragging me, my triggers that are dragging me away from what I want to focus on. Am I? I love the idea of of deliberate procrastination. All right, I'm getting distracted here. Okay, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna distract myself on purpose. I'm gonna do this for two minutes, and then I'm gonna come back to what I'm doing, mm-hmm. rather than two canoeing and sort of trying to half be distracted and half do my work for four hours. Because we can do that easily. Mm-hmm. You can easily spend four hours half doing your work. Whereas if you if you paddle one canoe and that's the canoe I'm working on, and then I'm gonna work on this other one for a bit we'll actually get a shitload more done. How do you identify whether it's, you know, you just trying to self-sabotage and like tr- like almost trying to distract yourself because you don't want to do the job as opposed to I need to identify in myself right now that my body is telling me that I need to take a break yeah. and it's I'm, I'm, I'm getting distracted here. That's the catch, weight and reset part of it too, that we can use that same thing. And one of the hassles when you have that low hum, like you were talking about before, that living next to a highway, yeah. is that you're not hearing those cues anymore. All right, So we've got to make sure we kind of tune our hearing in for them a little bit to be able to sort of stop and say, okay, I'm going to do that. And just little things like when you go and have lunch, go and have lunch outside, go and look at trees, leave yeah. your phone away. Do Don't that. take your phone with you when you go for lunch. When you go for lunch, when you're having a break, have a break. Um, they did some really cool research at University of Tel Aviv and they got people to do a really difficult cognitive task and once they got to the point where their brain was full and, oh, I need a break, they said, okay, you go have a break. You guys go for a walk around the block, go walk around that forest there for a little while and then we'll come back and we'll do some more. The other ones they got to scroll on Facebook and then come back and then go back into the task. They could measure how well they did on their cognitive, really difficult cognitive task and they could then see when they wanted to quit again. All right, and the ones that scrolled on Facebook or Instagram, 
they didn't do as well when they came back. So it was equivalent to having a 20% decrease in IQ. So it was 20 point decrease in IQ. All right. And they quit way quicker. All right. So one thing I think we've got to be able to do is reset on purpose to actually deliberately do the thing that's actually going to calm us down and, and empty our brain a little bit and give us some room to to sort of fill it back up again with whatever we're doing because we're not if we're not emptying that bucket we're constantly we're constantly full and we're not yeah we're in two canoes <laughs> the two canoe thing <laughs> I really I don't like, like talking it. about the two canoes because I'm like oh fuck but one of the things yeah. about we've got it, about five canoes right now <laughs> but one of the things about it is if we get to that point where we know we can only paddle one canoe, it just takes one sentence. Just say to yourself, okay, what canoe am I going to paddle? How long am I going to, you know, duration path outcome. How long am I going to paddle this for? Where am I going and what do I want to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Let's just paddle this canoe. Yeah. Uh, I had to do a proposal for a super company that I'm doing some work with. And I had probably 15 minutes before I had to come, come here to do this podcast. Yep. And it was awesome because I only had 15 minutes. Cool, I've got to do it. Duration path outcome. Boom, boom, boom. Write the proposal. Send it off. You bet. Done. Whereas I could have, sh- I could have farted around with that for two hours. Yep. All right. And it might have been two percent better. Might have been worse if I had a farted around for two hours. But when I went in one canoe for duration path and outcome, I'm going to get this proposal done in the next fifteen minutes, and I'm going to send it off. It got done. Yeah. So like interesting. One I canoe. Think, I think the the more that Cell and I become experienced with things and and uh, um, go through this business journey is is having that same thought process. I mean, pr- prior um, we would might be a bit more perfection, um, more like perfectionists. Spend so much time on doing things to try and get that one or two percent extra. Yeah. Um, but then at the end of the day, a lot of the time, people don't even recognize that two percent extra. They don't care. No. Uh, they would get the same, you know, value out of whatever you're producing if you just got it done quicker. And maybe even more value because they got it quicker. Yeah. So it's like it's not that we're compromising quality. I think as you get better and more experienced at something, your quality just naturally gets better quicker anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, also just understanding when you should just be consistently putting something out quickly to get it done, as opposed to like sitting on it for periods of time to make it more perfect. When yeah, well, the perfectionism. Uh, there's actually a chapter in Curious Habits about perfectionism and. It's not something I've ever had a real problem with, to tell the truth, but I've looked around and a lot of people do. You always say it about us. Well, I massively you, you say, used to it say it about, about you, me yeah. a lot. Yeah, you, yeah. You can definitely spend, you know, it's that 80-20 principle, that yeah. Pareto principle that you can get you can get it 80% done in 20% of the time, so just do that. Yeah. Um, but I love Breno Brown's work around this. She's a, she's a psychologist from um, University of Houston and she, she refers to perfectionism as, car- as carrying a 20-ton shield. If I can make everything perfect, if I can, you know, if she she deals a lot with women as well, and she said if I can if I can look perfect, you know, be perfect, have everything absolutely perfect, and don't let them see you sweat, then you're going to be okay. And it's just not the way it is. Yeah. All right, you're not okay just yeah. because you've got everything perfect. It's an illusion. So why don't we start off with be okay? Why don't we just our base from where we're starting is I'm okay. Yeah. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to put it out, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to refine it if i need to down the track but i'm going to do my best i can with what i got i was curious about um because in this podcast world and then often hearing about platforms like better help um where people are able to now go online talk to a psychologist talk to someone to get advice and the likes of that type of stuff i believe 
particularly for men, there was such a massive stigma about you saying, I'm going to see a psychologist. I've told people that I've, I'm coming to see you, and they've just been shocked. Like they've just been like, what are you going to see someone about? I'm like, just to get better, clear my head, do this. and they. I love the fact I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. So, yep. um, <laughs> um, which is actually, I, I used to have, I used to have imposter syndrome is another one we talk about in the book as yep. well. Yeah, I used to have a real imposter syndrome about that, that I'm helping people with their mindsets, I'm helping people you know, with their mental health. And you know, I'm, I'm a mental health first aid instructor and stuff, so I teach people how to do that. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird concept, isn't it? Yeah. That if we wanted to get better at jiu-jitsu, we'd get a coach to teach yeah. us. If we want to get better at our marriage, we should get a coach to teach us. If we yeah. want to get better at how we lead teams, we should get a coach to teach us. Someone else has done it better than I can do yeah. in the past. And someone else will give me another option of what I can do. If you've got a good coach, they're not going to tell you what to do. They're going to help you find what to do. And they're going to help you experiment and look at something. And if that didn't work, cool. It doesn't mean I'm shit. It just means that didn't work. You know, I love the idea that action gives you answers. Mm-hmm. So let's try something. Let's do that. We'll see how that works. And the hassle is we get stuck in those same ruts, those same habits. And... Yeah, there's no there's no benefit to it, but we're still doing the same thing over and over. So how do we step out of that? And one of the ways you step out of it is to get a coach. And a coach can actually help you with that. And it, it, it works really well. And the coach doesn't necessarily have I teach I teach, I coach a lot of people that are way way better at so many more things than I am. But all I help them is to find another way to look at things. And I, it's really weird that I spend all these years asking people which one's clearer, number one or number two, and now I kind of do that in in a different way. It's amazing. The one thing that um, I've got so much value from you is um, finding gratitude. And I know that you talk about gratitude a lot and you talk about the gap in the gain and just reframing that thought process. Can you tell us a little bit about that theory? Yeah, I love The Gap in the Gain. It's, great. it's a great book by um, Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy called The Gap in the Gain. And, and the concept, if you imagine a continuum along the way and you know, here's where you were, here's the ideal version of you. All of us live somewhere along that continuum and there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And most of us live in that gap, that, you know, between where I am and where I want to be. And I guess part of what we wanted to do is to narrow that gap, all right? And what we do is we, we, build, we build on that with gratitude. So what are the lessons I've learned along the way that are actually helping me here? And so build on gratitude. Uh, if you imagine gap, G-A-P, is gratitude, acceptance and purpose. So if I can have gratitude for the things I've learnt and all the things that I've done and all of the struggles I've had, acceptance that this is where I am, I'm here now, right here in my shoes, this is where I am, and we can accept that, but acceptance from a place of I, I, I can still thrive and I can still do better and having a purpose of what that looks like. And I reckon if we do that, then the gap between you know the, the you now and the you you want to be actually gets smaller, but it's not a apathy and i'm not going to change it's i still want to thrive and i still want to get better but i'm accepting that i'm here now and i'm going to i'm going to go from here i'm going to build on what i've learned in the past and it's about appreciating um how far you've come right Mm. because it's like we all look at that gain and we all look at like where we want to be but we don't actually appreciate sit in the present and go well fuck look how far i've actually come yeah and that's where I can build that gratitude. Have you have you read the last chapter in Curious Habits? No, no? don't put me on the spot. Sorry, like that. On the spot. <laughs> um, but the last chapter, a, a friend of mine, Cam Schwab, is a, used to be a CEO of of a few AFL teams. Really talent, really talented dude. I've learned so much about being a coach and leading and stuff from Cam. And he gave me a thought experiment, which was which was really cool. And I, 
you know, I'll let you guys have a think about this for a tick, is that the thought experiment is I want you to go half a lifetime ago, go back half a lifetime ago. So for me, that's, you know, 25-year-old Luke. And we've all got that old cliche of, you know, what advice would you give the younger version of yourself? We've heard that a million times. Cam had a different take on it. He said, what would you go back and thank 25-year-old you for? All right, and I'd go back and thank 25-year-old me for, you know, getting off the cones and stopping smoking drugs because I'd turned my brain into mush and sorted my mental health out again, which was great. I'd thank him for exercising and training and staying fit and healthy. I'd thank him for looking after, prioritising his marriage when his marriage looked like it wasn't going to be good. I'd you know, really thank him for doing IVF and having his daughter, who he loves to bits, and all of the things that you go back and thank that half-a-lifetime-ago version of you. You know, I mean, think, wow, you know, I'm, I really thanked him for, thank 25-year-old me for working really hard at some of the things I had to do and doing the thing, the hard things to do when the hard thing was the right thing to do and to putting in the effort and to, you know, really working hard. You know, so you think about and go back and it's a really cool thought experiment Even pause the podcast for a moment and do it yourself now. And then the second part of the experiment is I want you to go the same amount of time ahead. So that's like 75-year-old me what would he come back and thank me for now? You know, he'd thank me for staying fit. He'd thank me for laying off the carbs and looking after his brain and eating food that's good for your brain. He'd thank me for, you know, doing Pilates and being kind to my knees. You know I mean, he'd thank me for still looking after my wife and still looking at her like she's the most beautiful woman in the world, which she is to me. And all of those things that what would that future version of you thank you for now? Would he thank you for drinking 20 cans and, and eating shit food and all of that sort of stuff? No, probably not. And so it's a really cool thought experiment to sort of look at, be grateful for the past and then look at what the future version. I think finding Carlos, when we come up with the best version of you, I think that does that. The best version of me is going to be curious, creative and present. And the more curious, creative and present I can be, I think 75-year-old me is going to be proud of me. It's unbelievable. And t- tell us about, tell the audience about finding Carlos and what, what Carlos would do that Luke doesn't do. <laughs> it's, it's kind of back to that angel and the devil on the shoulder. And I guess, Car- you know, Luke can tend to procrastinate a little bit. Luke can put things off. If they don't know quite how to do something, I just won't do it. Um, and just Luke's perhaps not as comfortable with discomfort, um, whereas Carlos will just give it a crack and get in there and do it and mess some shit up, but that's okay. Um, and just get it done um, was probably the biggest difference between the two of them. And so I know when I'm starting to talk myself out of things, you know, I I, I kind of call him Little Luke, and I'm really really clear about what Little Luke sounds like. And I, he's always over my left shoulder, and he's this little pigeon-toed kid from Narang that couldn't read until grade nine. And it was always that that kid that had to work harder than everyone else to get to being mediocre. Uh, and I'm okay with him now. He used to used to have that little imposter syndrome and stuff with him, but he get he gets he gets heard. And I don't push him away, but he doesn't get a say in what I do anymore. All right, but once we're clear about what little Luke sounds like and then what Carlos sounds like, um, Carlos, I go with little Luke. I acknowledge him, say thanks, mate. I'm not going to push that back and pretend it's not there. I'm going to hear it, but I'm going to go with what Carlos says. Mm. Do, you, do you think everyone's carrying obviously that kid with them? Doesn't matter how old you get. It's like certain things when you, when you're a child that just stay with you, yeah. like they 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 just ingrained in your DNA that you can't like you can't ignore it. That that was your that was your past. That was your history of who you've become. Some people, obviously, 
like live with it like they still hold it like you you i'm sure you would spot this all the time you can see someone's insecurities a mile away we've all got them we do we all do we all we you you're not human if you don't and but some people then try to mask it with bravado ego Mm. being really loud or flashy or doing all these different types of things they become destructive yeah and and you think I don't know whether they genuinely think that the other people around them in the world can't see that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've disguised themselves or they've like put this mask on and they're like, cut. Now I can tell that my previous self was like this and this is why I'm behaving like that. But I think it's probably the most obvious thing that becomes even more obvious as you get older, like that person's dealing with something and they're doing this to try and try and move away from from that how do you like i, I don't wouldn't even know again it fits yeah. into that catch weight and reset yeah it fits into the same model of that i love the analogy and i talk about it in curious habits as well that um we live on the gold coast and between the gold coast and brisbane is the m1 and for those that don't live around here it's like a behemoth of a road it's like about eight lanes each way it's huge but as you drive into brisbane there's a Bit of an area just north of Dreamworld. I don't know if you know this bit. That there's another little road that Roly Poly Hills. It's a little two lane road that runs next to the M1 near Pimpama. Near Pimpama, yeah. yeah. That road used to be the M1. Yeah. When I used to go to university back in the late 80s, that was the road we drove on to get to university. And what main roads and the council have done is build this behemoth next to it. And I think those little version, that little Luke, that little pigeon toed kid from Narang. He's on that old M1. He's still there. And the old M1's always going to be there. Those ways of thinking that, you know, I'm not this or I'm that. and Those little unhelpful ways of thinking are all, they're always still going to be there. But if we can have that awareness to understand I'm on the little M1 now, this is my way of thinking from when I was a kid. Once you have the awareness of that, you don't have to force yourself to step off it. It's just the awareness. And okay, cool. Where's the, oh, there's the motorway over there. That's the way I want to go. The, that awareness that. is the key. Hey, yeah. it's just like these people have not done in, then enough self-reflection. They they don't do any self-reflection, so they don't know sort of like what the, who they are and how they're communicating, and like who even is, that who even it, that sounds it just it doesn't have to be as as I don't know ethereal and up there and all uh-huh. woo woo yeah. about it. It's just like yeah, fuck. That's what that little shit version of me would say. That's that's what, okay. What, what was your car was called? Do you remember? Your Essie. Essie. Yeah. Mm, was your grand? Yeah, it was my um, grandfather or mother's name. Grandmother's middle name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And how? <laughs> What was yours? Mine was Tyler from Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I actually one of, one of the things we do with finding Tyler Carlos <laughs> is we. And you can actually download that. There's a worksheet on this on my website as well. You can yeah. actually download the worksheet for finding Carlos and do it yourself. But it's a good thing to do with a, with a friend. But um, when I do it with Miles, he's one of the pe- person. You have this like pretend dinner party that you have and you invite someone from your tribe, um, someone famous, someone fictional and someone from the past. Yeah. All right, and we, and we write down all the characteristics of all those different people and one of the ones... That you not, admire about them. Uh, yeah. yeah, characteristics you admire about it. And uh, Miles was Tyler Durden from, from Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched the movie recently and I'm really, really disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it was one of those moments where... And um, this is a bad trait of mine. I just I have a terrible memory. Um, but I try not to tell myself that as much anymore from working with you and, and 
because then I kind of start believing it and then it becomes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, wor- I'm working on improving I'm working my memory. On, correct. Um, but when you get put on the spot sometimes, I just go blank. Yeah. So Luke's like, who's a, a fictional character? Yeah, um, someone from a book or a movie. Yeah, um, and, and that you admire. I was like, oh, I, I literally, I don't know why, but Tyler Durden from Fight Club was the only thing that kept coming to the yeah. surface. And I don't know why. Actually, I, th- I quoted him earlier in this podcast, yeah. you know, yeah. buying shit we don't need with money we can't afford to impress people yeah. we don't like. Legit. That was a Tyler Durden. Yeah. That Maybe was a Tyler true. Durden quote. Maybe that sub- subconsciously stuck with true. me. True, it was too. But I couldn't think yeah. of anyone else. So I just committed to that. Yeah. <laughs> but I need to watch Fight Club again. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an out there movie. Yeah. It's a really disturbing movie. But <laughs> I did mine and mine was um, Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side. Yeah. Yeah. I loved her character in that. She didn't give a shit about what anyone else thought. She did what she thought was right. She was caring. She was giving. She was curious about finding new ways to do stuff. And whatever she did, she did 100%. And I loved her character in that. Mm-hmm. That's so, amazing. So it's a matter of finding, you know, what the best version of you looks like and doing whatever you can to, to turn up yep. as that person as often as you can. Yes. Lukey, um, a part of this podcast that Cell's introduced at the end is that we ask someone that is familiar with you to uh, ask you a question. I don't know if you've got one, Cell? No, I was uh, hoping you did. Yeah, cool. I've got I knew, one. Yeah. yeah, well, Holly asked the question, actually. Oh, sweet. Because I told her you'd be on. Okay. And um, Should I be nervous? No, not at all. No, it's <laughs> simple Simple question, but it but it's a good one. It's because um, she knows h- how many successful people you continue to work with and to coach, um, and you're surrounded by during your your conferences and your speaking tours and all these sorts of things. And she just wanted to know: is there some common things that each of these successful people have, which you've been able to sort of identify and and pull apart? Are there some common themes that you're seeing between all of these successful people and how they are able to sort of you know, live in balance and you know, harmonious balance and achieve success and all these sorts of things. And then the second I, part of that is, is there such thing as balance? Um, we have the first part yeah. first. And I think the people that can maintain success for a long time have that balance. They, um, I'd like to think they maintain curiosity and the ability to change and not get stuck in, in habits that aren't serving them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a really, I'm, I'm thinking about, a lot of the different people along those lines, uh, uh, you know, with the criteria that, that Holly was saying. And, yeah, they're all very, very different personalities and have different priorities and stuff. But I guess the ability to change, I, th- I think I think that's massive. Being I think adaptable. that's really understand. Um, yeah, to be, un- to be able to be a- adaptable and change and to be able to move with, with the way the times change, I think is really important. And that that's probably one of the really key things I, I like people to get out of Curious Habits, to be able to sort of say that I have the ability to change. A lot of people sort of wrongly suggest that I'm, I'm this and this is how I am and I'm not going to ever change. And um, there's some really cool work at Harvard, like I called Dan Gilbert. Um, and one of the quotes he, he said was that humans are mistakenly think we're finished products when we're actually works in progress. Mm-hmm. And we're all works in progress. And the things that we are now... 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. And I, God knows what I'm going to be doing in 10 years' time. But I know if I stay curious, creative and present, whatever it is, is going to be pretty good fun. Mm-hmm. And then we, we literally just had Jesse Williams on, who was an NFL player who's in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And uh, he spoke about balance and basically tore it to shreds and said, yeah. there's no such thing as balance. And and I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's said that a lot too and, and sell to it. What's yeah. your take on it? 
I think balance is when you have enough energy for all the different parts of your life yeah. that need it. If you can have all the energy, and you don't split it up in time, don't split it up in money. If you've got energy for all the different things in your life that are important, I think you have balance. But I think one of the things, going back to what we talked about, we can kind of look at success and think, you know, I want to be successful, and we just we put it on top of just results. We put it on top of money. All right, and I think we've got to move money to the side. Money's part of it, and you want to have successful. You want to have, you know, I wanted all my specsavers practices to be really, really successful. But you also need tribes. You also need relationships, and then balance is kind of fills it in. So if we if we have, you know, results and tribes, and then plus or minus balance, I think that's where our success pyramid com- comes from. Mm-hmm. And then you have success then, whether it's success in buildings or something, probably doesn't really matter if you have all of those three whatever the KPIs on it aren't probably quite so important. Amazing. Are there any messages you want to share for, you know, any final messages? Uh, oh. Tell people where they can find you, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to book you for speaking tours, if they want to do workshops and team workshops and all these sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, I mean, find me at lukemathers.com.au. Um, I'm not the biggest social media person in the world, so I probably don't go look in there. I've, I've had people like Miles try and help me and I it just doesn't it's not something that sits well with me and that's okay i'm if nothing else i'm authentic so let's stick yeah. with that um so yeah lukemathers.com.au is probably the best way to find there's lots of stuff on there for free that you can download a couple of books and things like that for free um i reckon if i could give one piece of advice it would be to just stay curious just to just to look at what am i getting out of certain things how is that helping me how am i serving the world is the world a better place because i'm in it those sorts of questions and i think um Today's Are You OK Day as well, which we touched on a little bit earlier. And I, I think one of the things we should start asking questions, both of ourselves and other people, and use questions that are, that are what and how. We often ask why questions. And I think why questions can often be a little bit judgy. Yeah? What am I going to do that's going to help this? How can I change this to be a little bit different? Those sort of open-ended questions for people. I think those sorts of things can, can help sort of help us all get a little bit more curious. Thanks, brother. So Lovely good having you. you on, man. Pleasure, man. It's good to see you both. We'll uh, get you back on, talk, keep talking, because uh, I think it's just so much value for people. So keep doing amazing things. The world is better for having you in it. <laughs> you too, boy. You too, fellas. See you soon. Thanks, Cheers. man.